Our scripture reading this morning is Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the finder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. You all right? Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at Village. Um, if you are just kind of visiting with us this morning, you're very, very welcome. Uh, we do have some, some extra special visitors. Uh, Alan and Mary Jane's family are with us, so you guys are very, very welcome. Not that everyone else isn't special, but um, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, does anybody want to wanna come up and share an embarrassing story or anything like that? No? Stage is yours if you think of something, so... Uh, today is kind of significant. We're going to, um, uh, at the end of this gathering, we're going to officially uh, commission, ordain Alan as one of our group of elders. Um, Alan's been on staff since the beginning of, of the year. He's been kind of doing that role anyways. Um, we wanted to do this, do this in a physical gathering. We really didn't want to do it online. So we just thought it was significant enough just to, just to wait uh, until we were all back in this building. So uh, we'll do that at the end. So... Uh, let me pray for us one more time. Uh, Lord, we, we desperately need you. Um, Holy Spirit, we'd ask that you would um, teach us now. Um, even though it's, it's me um, speaking, uh, we pray, that, Lord, that you would, you would use um, whatever happens here to, to open hearts, to illuminate people, maybe for the first time, uh, maybe for the thousandth time, uh, may we see you again more clearly, our King Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, if you are just kind of joining with us, we're making our way through the book of Hebrews. Um, uh, I don't know about you, but I feel like this has been important and significant for us um, because even though this is an ancient uh, letter or sermon written to ancient people, um, I think we have a lot in common with them, and um, we, we have a lot to, to learn from these truths that are uh, being passed on, um, because this is a, a letter written to a group of believers who, who started really well. They, they started their, their faith journey really, really well. Um, uh, they, they, they were incredibly focused at the beginning. They were absolutely convinced of who Jesus was uh, what he had done for them, and now what the, the, the future that they now had because of him. Uh, the reason we know that is absolutely true uh, about their background is because the author just tells us that. And he tells us that in chapter 10, remember, he says, 
recall your former days after you were enlightened, after you were illuminated uh, by, the, by the truths of the gospel. And then he, he talks about their past suffering. They endured past suffering, public reproach, prison, uh, plundering of their property. And he says you were willing to do all of that because you were certain that you had a, a better possession and an abiding one. That They were certain that, that what lay ahead of them because of Jesus uh, was better, so they're willing to go through all of that. Um, that sounds like a really great church, doesn't it? Sounds like a really great start for these believers. They're willing to endure anything because what they have in Jesus, ultimately in heaven, is better than anything in their lives. Anything life can give them, anything death can take away. That's a really great start. But the reason he's writing to them is because they're, they're growing tired. They're, they're getting weary. They're, 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 they're being kind of worn down. They're... they're, they're is resulting in them not, they're, they're kind of taking their foot off the accelerator, if you know what I mean. They're, they're just starting to coast through their Christian life. They're, they're beginning to drift and just kind of meander their way through their lives. It seems their vigilance is, is, is kind of fading. They're, they're growing weary and faint-hearted. The preacher says in verse 30, uh, 35 of chapter 10, don't throw away your confidence. Don't, don't just meander. Have, have great confidence so that you can make it to the end. And he says in verse 36, you are in need of endurance. You need, you need patience, you need, you need perseverance, you need stickability to make it to the end. I wonder who here can relate to that journey. Has that kind of crossed your mind as we've kind of made, your, made our way through this? Um, does their journey, their, their kind of faith story uh, resonate with you at all? Do you, do you, can you go, I remember too, when I was illuminated, when the, when the lights went on uh, about who Jesus was and who, uh, who he is, what he's done for me, I remember that. I remember the, the boldness that that brought into my life. Um, maybe, maybe for you, it wasn't facing prison or facing the plundering of your property, but you too were, were willing to maybe experience public reproach hardship because you were, just because Jesus was so real to you. But maybe now you've, you too have grown weary. Maybe your confidence is, is a bit shaky. You're coasting. That, that you've lost your, your sense of urgency in your Christian race. You're in danger of drifting. Does that resonate with you at all? If it does even a little bit, this message is for you. Um, the, the, what, what the book of Hebrews is saying to us is in, incredibly important to study, to understand, and to, to heed to. And the reason is because, as we learned in the Christian life, finishing the race is everything. It's not enough just to start really well and then kind of fizzle out. Finishing is everything. Not finishing is a really great risk. Um, you've probably picked up by now, but the, the writer of Hebrews, along with quite a few other New Testament writers, Paul and, and Timothy, uh, he's, he's using this metaphor of, of a race to describe what the Christian life is kind of like. Um, he's not describing any kind of race. He's not saying this is like a sprint. He's saying it's, a, it's like a marathon. It's, it's running this race that, that takes endurance. Um, this is a metaphor of a long race that you have to endure he, he builds on this metaphor saying you have to strip off all these weights in order to run well. 
uh, and he talks about this great joy of finishing the race at the end. And here, really, in chapter 12, verse 1, he, he's, he's bringing us back to the end of chapter 10, verse 35, where he says, don't throw away your confidence. That has a great reward. You are in need of, of endurance, of perseverance, to reach the end, to reach what is promised. And he says, you need to press on. And we, as we learned last week, the, the key to pressing on is faith. Um, and, and that led him to chapter 11. He kind of sweeps through the Old Testament and, and shows us all these examples of, of what a life of faith looks like. Those who lived and died with faith. All these people who proved their faith in action by trusting and obeying God. And here we get to really his conclusion of that whole kind of narrative on persevering and enduring in the faith. And, and here he, he gives us this, this picture of all of these, these heroes of the faith that we've been looking at as being this great cloud of witnesses. And he, he, he's beginning to encourage us to, to think of us as, as runners in our race and to think of ourselves as being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. Um, this kind of brings us to our first point, which we'll call the encouragement of the witnesses. The encouragement of the witnesses. Uh, you, in this picture, you almost get this this picture of all these this crowds of people who, who kind of fill the streets of a marathon. I don't know if you've been to kind of watch the Belfast Marathon. Um, people everywhere, big crowds. Um, I don't know if some of you have even run in the marathon. I've run in parts of it. I've never run the whole thing before. Um, uh, I've run as part of a team, done a couple legs of the marathon over a couple years. Uh, the last time I did it, I got, to, I got the glory leg, which is the end, right? You, you get across the finish line. That's where the, the biggest crowd is. Um, and you can't underestimate the power of the, the crowds, of their encouragement. Running, people you don't even know, their encouragement is so powerful, you kind of keep, keep going. When all you want to do is, is collapse and stop and, and give up. And there's, there's parts of the, uh, of the marathon where there's not very many people and you're just dying. But then you cross a bend and turn around, a, uh, go around a bend and there's a great crowd of people and you just feel yourself kind of speeding up and, and just because there's people around, there's an encouragement. Um, that's kind of a, a picture that we have here. But the author, I, he doesn't necessarily have in his mind this group of, of people as merely being spectators, um, them watching us as we run our Christian life and kind of cheering us on. Uh, he's not so much thinking of these witnesses as those who are watching us, but rather those who bore witness to trusting God in their lives. And they, they trusted God, they looked toward that future glory in their own race. So they are those who bore witness in their race, not really spectators in ours. Um, F.F. Bruce, he says, it's not so much that, we, that they look to us, but that we look to them for encouragement. We are looking to, to their life and their faith and their life for encouragement in our race. Um, and again, who is the author saying is, is this crowd? It's, it's, it's everyone we've just been looking at in chapter 11. These men and women, these examples of those who lived and died by faith. They, they finished their race well by living with faith. That's who is in this crowd. And, and very importantly, remember those two groups that we looked at last week. The, the first group who, who by faith experienced 
incredible, like miraculous deliverance. Uh, 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 they experience triumph. They move from, from weakness to strength by faith. But then very importantly, there's the second group who were tortured, who, who, were, who experienced um, uh, stonings and, and being sawn in two, um, imprisonment, um, killed by the sword. Um, but we said that they're all, both of these groups are part of the overall group of people who finished the race well. They, they endured and they persevered by faith. All of these people who are commended by God for their faith are this great cloud of witnesses who we are looking to for encouragement. Um, I think that alone is pretty, pretty countercultural, isn't it? That, that f- the people that we look to in, for encouragement um, are not just the ones who experienced victory and, and triumph. We also look to the ones who were killed, who, who in an earthly way failed. They, they experienced horrendous things. It's the strong ones and the weak ones that we look to for encouragement. It's their, it's their faith. It's this faith proved that is their encouragement. Um, it's this, we talked about this, it's this, this, this belief. It's their belief that, that having God, getting God, being faithful to him is much better than anything life can give you or the death can take away. Um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the, the, the great example of that in Daniel 3. Just as they're about to be thrown into this fiery furnace, facing almost certain death, they say, we, we believe that God can save us. We believe that God will save us, but even if he doesn't, it's okay. Why? Because we trust in him rather than our agenda for him. It's their faithfulness, these people, that is encouraging us. Um, it, it's almost as if these, the picture is these people who have finished their race well with faith, they've crossed that finish line, and then they, they seem to like come around to the, the, the crowds, the, to the edges of the amphitheater. And, and, and then as we come up behind them running our race, it's almost as if they are there kind of holding out their wounds for us to see as encouragement. So you have David. David's there, and he's saying, hey, adultery doesn't have to keep you from finishing the race. You can be an adulterer. You can uh, conspire and murder, and that's not going to be enough to, to keep you from finishing. By faith, you can still endure. You can still persevere. You, you have, have uh, Sarah. She's, she's saying, I was an elderly woman. I was in my 90s. I confess I laughed when I first heard God say, I'm going to give you a child. But by faith, he gave me the power to conceive. It's possible. You have Moses. Moses is this example of saying, someone saying, I had it all. I, I had everything this world can offer. And by faith, it's possible to, to set that aside and choose to be... Um, uh, mistreated with the people of God. It's it's possible to consider the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of this world. By faith, that's possible. You can do it. You have the Maccabean woman and, and her seven sons saying, look, we got our tongues back. We got our limbs back. It actually is like what Paul says. It actually, that suffering was kind of momentary and light. Keep going, keep going, keep running. Chapter 11 is important for us. What encouragement we get from this cloud of witnesses, those people who kept their faith in the good times and in the 
absolutely horrendous times. It's possible, they're saying. Um, that's the first thing the author is kind of telling us. That brings us to the, the, our second point, which he begins to look at the endurance of the race. The endurance of the race. And this is in the second half of verse 1. Um, so he, he's carrying on with this, this metaphor of a race, and he calls us to long-distance endurance. Um, he says in the second part of verse 1, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Um, this exhortation, this use of this metaphor isn't surprising to us by now. Um, he, he's he's kind of used it before. He, we've, he, we've talked about this. Um, this is really his, his main exhortation of his entire letter. This is what he's been telling us to do over and over. You can't drift. You, you can't coast. You can't meander. You have to run. You have to, you have to run with endurance. It's a long-distance race. It's very hard. You're going to need patience and endurance in order to finish this. And he actually he, he gives us some, some help. Well, he gives us some, the really instructions, do this, um, this is how you do this. So just before he tells us this, he says, here's a couple things that you're going to have to do if you want to be able to run well and finish the race. And he says, firstly, in order to run, we need to get rid of some things. Um, if you've ever been to the marathon, if you've ever ran the marathon, this is what the serious runners do. They... they they're stripping down. They're wearing incredibly short shorts and very lightweight tops. They don't, they don't run in duffel coats and, and boots. No, you want to be as, as light as possible. And this is what the author tells us too. He says, you, get, you need to get rid of any unnecessary weight. Let us lay aside every weight. I don't know if lay aside is maybe the best way to render that, that original word, uh, because in the original language, it seems more purposeful and aggressive. It, it's, it's, it's not, hey, let's just fold this up and, and save it for later. It's, it's let's cut it off. Let, let's throw it off. Let's disregard it. He says, let us get rid of every weight and sin which clings so closely. Um, notice there's, there, there's those two things that he says we need to, to get rid of and shed. Obviously, there's sin, which we'll get to, but first, he says, any weight, um, any unnecessary or excess weight that will hold you down, that will keep you from running. Uh, most scholars say that the weight he's referring to isn't necessarily sinful things. They're, they're not necessarily bad things in our lives. They're just distractions. They're, they're things that are just holding us down. They're things that, that get in the way of faithful, obedient following of Jesus Christ. They're just things that are hindering you. Not necessarily sinful things. There may be just choices in your life or opportunities in your life. But they might not be very helpful for you in order to follow Jesus. It could be a certain, maybe it's a job opportunity. Maybe it could be a promotion. Are those things bad? Absolutely not. But will it hinder you from running? Will it start to take up even more of your time, even more of your energy that should be going towards running the race? Maybe it's something in your life that, that isn't necessarily sinful yet, but it's distracting you from running this race faithfully. I use a, a phone as an example. It's, it's not the only thing, but it's a big, big distraction in our lives, isn't it? Look at your screen time. 
do that. I put it on my, like, my home screen. Here's my screen time. Have you spent like two hours on Twitter, on Instagram? That's, brother, sister, that could be something that you need to get rid of. You see this important shift that he's calling us to, to make in our thinking? He's calling us not, the question isn't, is this a sin? It's, is it helping me run? It's not, is, is this allowed? No, the question is, is this going to help me run? If it's not, I need to get rid of it. He's calling us to deep, deep self-assessment, examination, and wisdom. What are the things in your life that aren't necessarily sinful, but you need to lay aside in order to run this race with endurance? Secondly, he adds to that, and he says, we need to get rid of any entangling sin, sin that clings so closely, sin that that trips you up, it drags you down, and it's holding you back. It's entangling you and making it hard to run the Christian race. The author says, get rid of the sin in your life so that you can run. Uh, I, I want you to pick up on the seriousness and his urgency here. He's calling us to to recognize the sin in our lives and to get rid of it. Don't, don't just justify it. Don't, don't rationalize it. Don't, don't kind of explain it away. Don't be tempted just, just to put it into perspective. He says, get rid of it. Deal with it as sin. And don't fall for that classic mix-up where people say, well, God accept, accepts me just as I am, exactly as I am, so I'll be that. I'll, I'll keep doing what I'm, what I'm doing. I'll just keep, keep on. He accepts me as I am. This is who I am. I'll continue to be who I am. Um, friends, that's a lie from the devil. And, and I want you to see in this verse, it, it's completely opposite of the message that, that maybe some more progressives will, will give you, who say, hey, God loves you, he, he accepts you just the way you are, so you don't need to change at all. Be who you are meant to be. Be yourself. That's a dangerous message, and I'll tell you why. It's because there's some truth in it. It's true, God does accept you just as you are. He, he, he accepts you with all your sinfulness, all your baggage. He loves you and he accepts you. He, he, he died for you in order to accept you, but he accepts you in order to change you. You are acceptable to God in Christ, but your sin is never acceptable to him. He accepts you. He accepts anyone who who runs and he turns to him in repentance. But he accepts you to change you. He accepts you to make you holy. So the author of Hebrews says, get rid of the sin in your life. The weight in your life. Throw it off. Disregard it. Hurl it off. Don't be deceived about it. Unless you you turn to God for forgiveness, then that sin will drag you down. It will. It will trip you up, and you won't finish the race well. It's like 1 John uh, 1.8, which was in our liturgy. 
John says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He goes on and he, he says, it's worse than that. You make God out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. But he says, this is amazing. But if we confess our sin, then what? He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to make us holy. The preacher Chris Wright is a Belfast man. He says, it's that moment of confession, of admission, of facing the truth and saying, God, I accept what you're telling me. It's that truth, it's the truth of that reality, of that moment that is the most precious moment imaginable. It's the moment that Psalm 32 describes when the psalmist says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. In other words, when, when I didn't confess my sin, I, my bones wasted away. But, he says, then I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover up my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me of the guilt of my sin. Isn't that amazing? That, that's the most precious moment imaginable. And it's also the moment that the devil will do everything in his power to stop you from getting to. Christians and non-Christians alike, he'll want you to do anything and to think anything rather than to be on your face in repentance before the Lord. But when you do that, in that moment, you are running into the arms of, this, of God's grace. His abundant infinite, incredible, forgiving love. It's the most precious moment imaginable. The author's telling us that whatever is in your life that is sinful or simply a distraction, get rid of it. Because you can't run the race of endurance unless you do. Um, I'm just going to encourage, I'm not going to encourage you, I'm going to ask you to do this this week. At some point, Get a paper, get a, piece of pa- get a piece of paper, a journal, maybe if you have one, and a pen. Find some quiet time and think through this. Write it down, make a list. What is the sin that I need to address in my life, that I need to deal with? But also, what are the things in my life that are just weighing me down? These things aren't gonna necessarily be sinful, but they're things that you need to deal with, the things you need to throw off because they're holding you back. As, as your pastor, can I ask you to do that this week? Will you do that this week? Everyone, piece of paper, pen, write those things down. You can't run the race unless you have a, a plan, if you know the, the, the way forward. And the author starts by pointing us to this great cloud of witnesses that encourages us shows us that this life of endurance actually is possible. And he then gives us these crucial instructions on being able to run with endurance. We're to throw off every weight and sin which entangles us. And then he ends by looking to the example of Jesus. Looking to the example of Jesus. And he says, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus. And he says, he's the founder and the perfecter of our faith who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising or scorning the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the most important part. Don't, don't miss this bit. He says, when, as you are running your race, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's where you should be looking. Um, the word actually means, it, it means consider attentively, but, but in, in the original language, it literally means to look away. To look away from. So it's, it, it's literally, hey, look away towards Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Because he's just talked about this, this sin and this weight that you need to throw off so that you can run. And he continues by saying, look away from those things towards Jesus. You can't, you can't look to Jesus if you're still looking at the distractions in your life. It's like Peter when he was walking on water. Fix your eyes on Jesus. As soon as he starts to look around, it begins to sink. Look away from the distractions. Look away from the, the sin that you, you bring to the cross and look to Jesus. And look away even from the witnesses in chapter 11. So take encouragement from them, uh, but, but don't fix your eyes on them. Why? Because they are only pointing to Jesus. That, that's what they're doing. So don't spend your time looking at them only. Look to the one that they are pointing to, Jesus Christ. Why? Why should we look to Jesus? Well, the author here gives three reasons. Firstly, because Jesus has been there before us in this race. Jesus has been there before us in this race. He says, look to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Some of your translations will maybe say author or the author and the finisher of our faith. The word for, for founder or author is probably better understood as, as pioneer or, or the, 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 the trailblazer or the pathfinder. Um, and interestingly, the word our, founder of the perfecter of our faith, isn't in, the, isn't in the original Greek. So the preacher is saying that Jesus is the supreme climactic model of faith. Full stop. Jesus is the pioneer of faith. He's the ultimate, perfect model of faith, of someone who, who lived this life of faith. So all the heroes of the faith in chapter 11, Jesus is their pioneer as well. Jesus is the, the perfection of this. Jesus, who, who trusted his Father's will, he trusted God's promise during his life on earth. He, he kept his eyes fixed on that glorious future beyond the cross he trusted his father every step of the way. So just like we're, we're looking to, to Abraham and Moses and all of these others, we ultimately look to Jesus as the ultimate pioneer and model of our faith. Um, I think there's an even deeper, deeper meaning here, though. Jesus is the pioneer or the, the trailblazer or the leader, the, the, the one who goes before you and shows you the way um, I think the author is saying here that, that Jesus, even though he comes at the end of this kind of list of, of witnesses, he actually precedes them. He actually comes before them. So he, he, he's the one that actually led them on in their race. Jesus, the, the pre-incarnate son of God, he was there and it was he who inspired their faith of all those who trusted and obeyed God even in the Old Testament times. So before he came to earth and was born, he was the pioneer of all these people's faith. 
F.F. F. Bruce, he, he comments and he, he, he puts it this way. He says, in what sense is Jesus the pioneer or the trailblazer of faith? We understand that he provides a, a better example and incentive in running the race of faith than all that came before him. But when we consider that they did go before him, how can he be called the pioneer of faith? Our author's answer might well be that they really didn't go before him. He went before them as truly he has gone before us. Um, you get this in, in, in Jude. In Jude 5, uh, it says that Jesus, Jesus saved the people out of the land of Egypt. It was Jesus who did that. He's the one who, who, who saved them and brought them out. And Paul, when he's speaking of their, their nourishment in the wilderness, he agrees with that. In 1 Corinthians 10, he says, For they all drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So he's saying it was actually Jesus Christ who led the people of God for all time along the path of faith that he himself would later personally tread. Isn't that amazing? Here's what that means. This is so encouraging. This means that wherever the path of faith takes you, Jesus has been there before. That's for you. Wherever the path of faith may take you, Jesus has been there before. That's what it means to say that Jesus is the pioneer of faith. It's a long, it's a difficult race, but the author is saying wherever you go, whatever happens, Jesus has been there before. So whether your life is characterized by the victories by the triumph, or whether your life is, is characterized by, by the deep trials and the sufferings and the difficulties, the truth is, you can't go anywhere that Jesus hasn't gone before. This is why he said, in, in, the author says in chapter 4, we don't have a high priest in Jesus who doesn't know what it's like. He's been tempted in every way like you and I have, yet without sin. So he says, look to him. He's been there before us. He endured perfectly to the end. Fix your eyes on him. I found that incredibly encouraging. Um, the second reason, so that's, we should fix our eyes on Jesus because he's been there before us. Uh, the second re reason we should fix our eyes on Jesus is because he's been there for us on the cross. So he's not only has he been there before us in this race of faith, he's been there for us on the cross. So he's building on this. He says, not only is he the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured that cross, that, that suffering and that shame. And the cross is really the, the, the pinnacle or the climax of the faith of Jesus, isn't it? And we, we see that... that that because of the cross, we see that he actually followed the same pattern that we saw in chapter 11 of all those heroes. So in chapter 11, all of those people were able to live a life of faith. They were able to obey and to endure all those difficulties and their sufferings in their present. Why? Because they kept their eye on the future. They, they, they trusted in the promises of God and the reward at the end. And here we see that it was actually the exact same for Jesus. He did that, that too. It was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. 
Now, the big question is, well, what was the joy that was set before him? And it, it wasn't just the, the personal joy of relief of finishing a race. And if you've, you've run a, a marathon or, or even part of it, there, there's this great joy in just finishing. I'm, I did it. Um, now, there's something much greater than that for Jesus. And there's, there's two parts of it. He's talking about the joy that Jesus would share with the Father and the Holy Spirit, that, that great eternal joy of the Trinity when Jesus returns back as the triumphant Son of God back to glory. He's also talking about the joy that Jesus would share with all of us, the, the, all of the, the redeemed people from every tribe and nation. The joy that was set before him was the joy of seeing believers forgiven and the joy of spending eternity with them in heaven. I found that very encouraging this week. Because we talk about, I can't wait to get to heaven. I can't wait just to be with Jesus. Do you know what? Jesus feels the same thing for you. Jesus can't wait to have you for all of eternity. As much as you can't wait, as much as you're anticipating that, Jesus anticipates it even more. The author is saying here that it was for the joy, it was for that joy that he trusted his father and was willing to endure that cross. To put it another way, the cost of that future joy was the suffering on the cross and that shame. That future joy, the cost of that joy was the suffering on the cross and the shame. We talked about this during our Good Friday service. The reason he paid that cost, the reason he endured that gruesome suffering and that shame was for the joy of gaining you. Isn't that amazing? And as a side note, this tells us what we are to do with that entangling sin. We don't just throw it off anywhere. We take it to the cross because that's where it's dealt with. This is the, the glory of the new covenant, isn't it? Jeremiah 33, 34, for I will forgive their iniquities. That's what he does on the cross. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember it no more. That entangling sin, we take that to the cross because that's where those sins are dealt with forever. So the author says, fix your eyes on Jesus and on his cross and never lose sight of what he did for you. Never lose sight of that forgiving, pardoning work on the cross. It's not enough just to look at the cross at the beginning of our journey. He says, you need to keep your eyes fixed there every step of the way until you finish that cross, that, that, that finish line. It's why we take communion every week here, to be reminded of Christ's work on the cross, to celebrate that, to keep our eyes fixed there. And listen, when, when you trip up and fall, because you will, and Satan tries to heap shame and guilt on you, brother or sister, get back up and take him to the cross as well. Because there you will see that your sins are forgiven. That's why we sing the song. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, what we do? 
Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. You need that in order to finish. So fix your eyes on Jesus. Firstly, because he's been there before us in the race of faith. Secondly, because he's been there for us on the cross of forgiveness. And thirdly, because he's there for us now at the right hand of God. This is how he finishes verse 2. He says, he is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And so Jesus, after his death on the cross and his resurrection, he ascends to heaven and he sits down at the right hand of the Father. Um, this isn't the first time he's said this. He said in chapter 1, chapter 8, chapter 10, uh, Jesus now sits at the right hand of majesty on high, um, which as we, we know we've said, it's this place of government, it's this place of authority and of power. The author is telling us that is where Jesus is now for you. This isn't some, some great man who lived a great life of faith and then he died and then we looked to him as an example. No, Jesus has risen from the grave. He has ascended and he's sitting at the right hand of God where he sits with all power, all authority for you. You need that in order to run this race. Um, I think one of the things he's saying is all these great examples of faith that we've been looking at, although they lived a life of faith, all of these believers, all of these martyrs, they can encourage you, they can inspire you, they they can be a blessing to you, but ultimately they can't help you. But Jesus can. Because he's not some dead hero of the faith. He's alive. He's risen. He's there at the right hand of the majesty with all power and with all authority. And he sits there for you. That's it. <laughs> that, that, that's everything. And then he gives us this, this summary in verse 3 where he says one more time, consider him. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's echoing again chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, isn't he? He's saying, I don't want you to drift away. I I don't want you to shrink back. Don't, Don't get exhausted. Don't lose heart. Keep going. Keep going. Take encouragement from those witnesses. Prepare for endurance by throwing off all unnecessary weight and entangling sin. And keep your eyes fixed on Jesus as your ultimate example. Let's stand and pray. Jesus, we, we thank you. We thank you that we have you. We would be utterly lost without you, Jesus. There would be no way of running this race to the end without you. We thank you that we can, it is possible, to run with endurance a faithful life 
It is possible because of you. We thank you, Lord, that you have been there before us. We thank you that there is nowhere this path of faith can lead us that you have not already gone before. We thank you, Lord, that you did that perfectly as our perfect example. Thank you, Lord, that, that you went to the cross for us. You endured that shame and that suffering for us because you love us, because you can't wait to be with us forever. Thank you, Lord, that you are seated, seated in heaven on the right hand of the Father to be our help, to be the one that we draw near to. Thank you for your throne of grace, Lord. Lord, I pray for the brothers and sisters in this room who will fall, who will get entangled in sin. Lord, I thank you that we can throw that off because of the cross. Lord, I thank you for this church. Help us to... uh, Thank you that this isn't a, a solo race. This is a group race. We run it together. It's a community project. Help us to pick each other up when we do fall. Help us to exhort one another daily to take heart, to not have dull hearing, to pay closer attention. Wake us up, Lord, to the importance of the book of Hebrews. May we glorify you by running this race of faith to the end. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.